All right, everybody, welcome to the Backseat Huddle Podcast, episode 16. As always, I am your host, Tristan Weber. And today, as always, I want to be giving you immaculate takes from around the NFL. Because things like that are the reason I do my show by myself, because I can say things like that and no one can clown on me for it. But anyways, let's actually get to it. Uh, The Mike White Show, excuse me, the Mike White Show in New York hit a bit of a speed bump as the New York Jets fell a 7-5 after falling on the road to the Minnesota Vikings. And it's really not that big of a deal. and, And like, look. Mike White, just like every young quarterback who is not named Patrick Mahomes, struggled a little bit. I mean, he's a young quarterback. There was some to like in this game, and there was some not to like in this game from Mike White. The Mike White experience against the Minnesota Vikings can really be summed up in two plays. He made the play to win the game, don't the Braxton Berrios, and Braxton Berrios dropped it and kind of blew it. And then... Mike White made the play to lose the game, and Mike White blew it. That's really just the entire game summed up in those two plays. That was the game in a nutshell. He played really well, and then he had some moments where he just didn't play that well. And here's what's to like out of that game, okay? He started off, Mike White did, really pedestrian. He was 14 of 26 for 121 yards and an interception in the first half. In the second half, his completion percentage wasn't that much better. He was 17 of 31 for 248 yards and the previously mentioned game losing interception. So he, in the second half alone, had more passing yards than Kirk Cousins did in the entire game. So he wasn't perfect in the second half and his completion percentage wasn't great. Mike's white wasn't. But throwing for 248 yards in one quarter is impressive. He was also impressive in some clutch spots He converted two fourth and longs in the fourth quarter, and he was clutching spots, and he did make the play to win the game, like I said earlier, but unfortunately, he also made the play to lose the game. And it really looks like this New York Jets team really likes Mike White, too, and he has some leadership qualities. So here's what uh, his wide receiver, Garrett Wilson, had to say about Mike White after the game. This is a quote. He said, he was out there controlling the huddle, never letting the moment get too big. It was cool to see. Looking back on it now, it's cool to think about it. I know I'd go to war for that boy. He's got something special about him. That is not what they are saying about Zach Wilson in that locker room. They clearly like this dude. And it's also telling to me that not only do the players like him, it's apparent that the Jets coaching staff also trusts Mike White because they were letting the letting, they were willing, excuse me, let me start. It's very telling to me that Not only do the Jets players like Mike White, it's very apparent that the Jets coaching staff also trusts Mike White. The coaching staff was willing to let him put the ball up 54 times. That is a lot of pass attempts, and that is a lot of pass attempts for a quarterback that's only in his fifth start. On the other hand, for the Jets, it's probably not ideal for their quarterback that's in his fifth start to be putting up the ball 54 times. Uh, once again, his completion percentage was not that great at 54.4% and he had a QBR of 23.1. That's not that good either. So his game overall, like I said, could have been summed up in just those two stats. I mean, you kind of got it. You hear those two things and you understand he made some big throws. He missed some big throws and he made some mistakes. 
drafted Mike White, which is exactly what you would expect from a quarterback out of his fifth start. Now to a couple quarterbacks who are a little bit more experienced than Mike White. The Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow took down the Kansas City Chiefs 27-24. And let me ask you a question, viewer. Did we actually learn anything from this game? Like, did we actually physically learn anything? It confirmed some things that we already knew, but did it actually teach us anything? Here's what it confirmed that we pretty much already knew, or at least cemented. The Bengals' run to the Super Bowl was not a fluke last season. And personally, I love to see it because the Bengals are a very young, very likable team. And maybe it's just me. I want to be able to wrap my arms around a team. Like, I want to have a reason to like them. And there's plenty of reasons to like the Cincinnati Bengals. There's a lot to like for them, and they are very easy to wrap your arms around. But it is very clear that the Super Bowl run last season was not a fluke. They're for real. Second, Joe Burrow's that dude. Oh, my goodness. That throw late in the fourth quarter to ice the game on third and 10, I think it was, was so cold. He should be at least in the MVP discussion. I don't think he should be the front runner, but he at least deserves to be talked about in that space with other MVP candidates. And third, that it feels like right now that those were the two best teams in the AFC. You know, it feels like the two best teams in the AFC played on Sunday evening in the Chiefs and the Bengals. It just feels like it's those two teams right now. The Bills are likely going to be in, back in that discussion come playoff time once they kind of start to figure out their turnover issues and Josh Allen hopefully starts to get back to playing better. But right now, it very much feels like those two teams are the best two teams in the AFC. Now, the Kansas City Chiefs on the other side, I don't feel like I learned this from this game, but I feel like it did kind of cement it. The Kansas City Chiefs just aren't quite as dynamic offensively as they were last season, and that's totally okay. I mean, they're still one of the top two or three teams in the NFL. They're still very much a viable Super Bowl contender, but it is time to admit that losing Tyreek Hill was a big deal, and he that has had an effect on this team. I mean, we're seeing what he's doing down in Miami. If you take that off of those Kansas City Chiefs team, it's going to make a difference in the team. Juju Smith-Schuster and Marcus Valdez-Scantling are both very good players, but they're not Tyreek Hill. So it is time to admit they're at least a little bit. I'm just going to actually say they just outright are less dynamic offensively than they were last season. However, that being said, the Kansas City Chiefs run game is actually a lot better than expected going into the season. At least for me, they run the ball extremely well in spurts, and that does feel like something they can lean on moving forward into the postseason. So kind of a trade-off effect. So those are the couple things that I learned from that game. Like I said, I didn't rather, I felt like we're cemented for me in that game. I did not feel like I walked out of that game with like, yeah, this is all this crazy new information. No, it was just things that we more or less knew that just more or less got cemented after that game. Now, lastly, because apparently this is a short show, my love affair with the San Francisco 49ers, if you've listened to this show, which not a lot of you are, uh, my, <laughs> my love affair with the San Francisco 49ers took a little bit of a hit this week despite the victory over the Miami Dolphins with Jimmy Garoppolo going down and Mr. Irrelevant last pick in the draft, Brock Purdy taking his place. So I'm actually going to start with Tua and the Dolphins losing this game. Uh, Tua had a bad game. 
And I mean, like, I'm not going to get on here and rip him up for it because, uh, look, this game, Tua had a bad game. This game was every Tua hater and every Tua doubter's absolute dream. He looked really rough at times, and he just had a bad game. However, I don't feel like it's fair to just point it to a at this point in one singular game and say, I told you so. Like, I just... We have significantly more evidence this season as to who Tua is. We've seen him put up a lot of stats, a lot of touchdowns. But coming into this game, he was first in this and first in that and first in this and first in that. And we have significant evidence this season of who Tua has been up to this point. So I don't feel like it's fair to look at one singular insular game and say he's not those things. Now, I'm not a big Tua guy. I've been eh on him his entire career. But every single person is entitled to a bad day at the office, and Tua just had a pretty rough day at the office. That all being said, I do believe that this 49ers game revealed the truth about Tua Tungavailoa, and that is that Tua's ceiling is Dak Prescott. They are both in the space of good to very good and most likely not elite, and they're also typically very good distributors of the ball. However, the team typically carries them a little bit more than they carry the team. And that's not always a bad comparison, okay? But let me kind of dive into why. This season, Tua has had his best games against the 24th ranked pass defense of the Ravens, 25th ranked pass defense of the Lions, 19th ranked pass defense of the Bears, 26th ranked overall defense of the Texans and a middle-of-the-pack Browns defense. That sounds a lot like Dak Prescott ritually beating up on the dysfunctional NFC East season in and season out. The very same Dak Prescott that really up until this season, we have seen struggle when things aren't perfect. We've seen Dak Prescott struggle when Tyron Smith is out. We've seen Dak Prescott struggle when the running game is in there. We've seen Dak Prescott struggle with Amari Cooper before he had CeeDee Lamb. And in a game where Tua didn't have both of his tackles and he wasn't facing a middle of the pack or worse defense and his running game wasn't working and J Jalen Waddle was a little bit banged up and things weren't perfect, he had his worst game of the season which is very similar criticisms to what we have given Dak Prescott in the past. Now, this is not a bad place for Tua to be. There are people out there who absolutely love Dak Prescott and say Dak Prescott's a top five quarterback and they believe he's elite. And there's people who just believe he's a little bit of a fraud and he's getting carried by the team. And that is, once again, a very similar thing to what we say about Tua Tungavailoa. That said, I believe at this very second, Dak Prescott is better than Tua is, but he's also had a few years more of experience to grow and improve. But like I said, moving forward, Tua Tungavailoa very much feels like a Dak Prescott type of player where you're going to be heavily in his camp or you are going to be totally and completely out of it and feel like you just see the light and you don't understand what everybody else feels. So this game, I believe, revealed the truth about Tua, and that is he is Dak Prescott. On the other side of this game, that was the most impressive win in the entire NFL that the 49ers pulled off over the Miami Dolphins. Losing Jimmy G 
early. I think it was the first drive. Losing Jimmy G and having to win a game against a playoff opponent with a backup quarterback who is the very last pick in this year's draft and then winning by 16 points. Wow. That is an impressive win. And that all said, it is it appears to be very clear that the 49ers trust Brock Purdy. Once again, despite him being a rookie, they let him put the ball in his very first game, first NFL game. They let him put up the ball 37 times. They had 37 pass attempts, did Brock Purdy. They held his hand a little bit here and there and tried to protect him with the run game like you should with a rookie quarterback, but they were willing to throw the ball on early downs and they were willing to let him throw the ball in big spots. They threw on the ball, they threw the ball on the goal line on third and one early in the first. You've got Christian McCaffrey and one of the best rushing offenses in the NFL, and they were still willing to put the ball in the air on third and one. That showed very early the 49ers absolutely trust this guy. Now, I don't believe Brock Purdy is going to take this San Francisco 49ers team to the Super Bowl. I don't think anybody has those kinds of crazy aspirations. However, if he continues to play at least this well, and that's a big if, of course, because once again, he is a rookie quarterback, the 49ers are absolutely still a contender and they will make the playoffs. I'm not buying that they can go deep into the playoffs once again with Brock Purdy yet, but they should still be on track to make it there. Three of the next five teams that the 49ers play either have a losing record or a 500, actually a, a 500 record or worse. And one of those teams is the Washington Commanders who are very coming off of a very impressive tie. That was sarcasm. Uh, so the 49ers absolutely should still make the playoffs. So that's it. That's my show today. Thank you guys once again for tuning in. Take care, everybody.